0: And welcome to The Framing Effect, I am your host, Jerry Zeng. This show seeks to view the incredible implications of behavioral economics and business through undiscovered lenses. The Framing Effect in the context of behavioral economics is a term describing the fluidity of information. By framing the how, when, and where information is communicated, we will see how seemingly unrelated events and people are all connected by the overarching forces of different industries. Join me in conversations with experts in fields not traditionally business-affiliated to find out how the decisions of individuals affect the world. On our fourth episode of The Framing Effect, we are joined by Kenan Hepp, professional actor with experience in both Hollywood and in China, with his last role being in the film Snipers, under the direction of critically acclaimed Zhang Yimou. He is also an avid content creator with over 5 million fans and over a billion views on the Chinese platform Douyin. Today, we discuss the difference between the American and Chinese film industries, the future of social media, and the effectiveness of propaganda. Hello everyone, welcome to the fourth episode of the Framing Effect podcast. Today we're with a uh, famous uh, Chinese and American uh, film director and TikTok star, Conan Hep. Conan, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Of course. So as I just mentioned, you're like a content creator that was originally based in China, and now you're currently located in Los Angeles. So could you just describe your uh, job and how you came to do this line of work? Yeah, absolutely. Well,
1: first of all, I should clarify, I don't know how famous I really am. You know, like fame is a word that Sometimes it gets thrown, especially for foreigners in China. um, Like if you Google like famous white guy in China or something, you'll get a bunch of different stories from different people who like went to China and maybe they were in some productions, and then their small town thinks they're like the big, (laughs) the biggest thing in Asia or something. Um, You know, it's interesting. Like some of my videos in China on the Chinese TikTok Douyin have been viewed you know 40 or 50 million times uh i have over a billion views from my my channel in china um so i guess by some metrics there's definitely like fame there when i would go to different subway stations train stations sometimes out on the street like people would recognize me but you know i never established what i call star power you know someone who like in the film industry has the power to move large sums of money somewhere like a true, you know, someone like Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie or, or someone in China like Jackie Chan or, uh, Xiao Xin Yang or someone, um, they could like read a script, right. And then tell their agent, Hey, I want to make this. And the money appears to make it. Does that make sense? Like that, that to me is like true stardom. And, um, I got very well known. I had some incredibly large roles, especially as far as a foreigner in China is concerned over there. Um, But yeah, I never, I never, so I, I, yeah, in terms of like views famous, but uh, no real star power. (laughs) Um, uh, Were you asking like about life there for the film industry in general or, or to what specifically did you
0: want to hear about that? uh first of all i guess it's very interesting about how um, like how i guess like fame is more accessible nowadays especially when you can like blow up on tiktok instagram stuff like that yeah billion views incredibly impressive thank you um yeah
1: i mean these kind of apps really have leveled the playing field haven't they like people with Many different talents can gain a large audience. and then, um if they can bring something of even more value to the marketplace, they can even turn it into a job. I, I saw some accounts in China of like regional farmers and they were selling their their fresh produce on these live streams. and then their farm became famous and and they blew up, you know uh, pretty crazy because because nothing like that would have been possible uh, just a decade ago. Um, yeah, I, uh, it's been a wild ride for sure. Uh, I recently moved back after the COVID situation, um, in China and then my father got cancer. So I, you know, I had to move back to the States to take care of him. And, and so now I'm kind of relaunching all of my, um, media personalities here in the west because i i really was developing this kind of niche skill for short form videos and stuff in china um and i wasn't posting anything on instagram or TikTok or anything uh, i would just post little updates on facebook maybe um and so when i moved back i was like oh my gosh my, my entire life is now in china i have to i have to start from zero now so so I pretty much started posting on TikTok and Instagram in like July. Uh so it's been like five months now.
0: Yeah. Well you've grown up a lot and um just used my months, 20k followers on Instagram about. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I guess um the question I was gonna ask, like, why were you why did you start making uh kind of these like educational Chinese videos? But I guess it's because after you moved back to America, you decided to kind of um, start this niche in America, right?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I guess it kind of goes back to why did I even go to China in the first place? (laughs) Um, And then that kind of helps answer what happened when I came back. So basically, it started like this. When I was in high school, I knew in my heart that I wanted to be in movies. I wanted to help make movies. Uh, to me, a great, great, great movie—something like *Goodwill Hunting* or *Inception* or you know *The Dark Knight* or something. To me, it seems like a a symphony of all human talent, all put together. You know, because you need like good writing and good directing and sound design and acting. And and like when something works so perfectly, it, it's it's honestly like a thousand different departments all coming together to tell one story. And, and I just think that's really cool. So that was always my dream to be a part of that. But then. The practical part of me also knew that pursuing this dream um, has very low odds of success, like. a a career in media a career in acting um most probably ends up in making zero dollars or or even negative right uh so instead of going to school for something like acting in college i actually got a chemistry degree Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and that was solely to support my acting career because i knew that i could get a degree in the stem field you know, and then support my artistic endeavors on the side. So I worked like really, really hard as a chemistry major in Oregon uh, to graduate like top of my class, just so that when I moved to Hollywood, I could be a tutor, like a high paid tutor, while I support my acting career. <laughs> yeah. Um, Because for me, it's all like, it's always based on a calculation of like, what's my big long-term goal, right? And then breaking that down to the present, And how can I increase the odds that I can get to that far away thing as quickly as possible? And for something like acting and film, I knew that I needed to be able to devote a large amount of time to developing that craft, but you can't devote that much time to it if you are stuck in like a nine to five or even worse, like labor job working in a restaurant that makes you really tired. And so by the end of the day, you have like no energy to study acting or something like that. So I was like, I need to get a job where I can work two or three hours and pay for my food and my rent. And then I can have all this free time to work on acting and writing and stuff. So that was like the calculus for maybe getting a chemistry degree or something like that first to to help me be an actor. You know, and I was grinding at the acting thing for about five years in in LA. Um, In fact, some people might even recognize me as the Lay's Chips guy. Like I'm on, uh, for for a few years, I had this Lay's Chips commercial running and I I was on Days of Our Lives, a couple little random things, but nothing was really hitting, right? And um, an opportunity came up in this Chinese movie. And very luckily, I had actually taken intro Mandarin in college, like a few months of Chinese in college. And, and here we are like six years later in Hollywood uh, as I'm trying to be an actor. But I had remembered enough words to like introduce myself. I could say like, ni hao ma, right? And, uh, and I could, you know, and I could learn some lines and my tones were good. My tones have always been good um so i learned these lines for this chinese movie and i got cast in in a movie and they flew me to new york and the director told me he was like kenan we've been searching for three months all over the united states for a young american actor who could speak chinese and we could not find a single person and i thought that's the thing i can do that here's finally a factor in this industry that I can control myself, right? We, I can't control what the writers rooms at Netflix and Disney are making and I can't control agents and casting directors, but I can sit down and force myself to learn a language. And if it's that difficult to find a young American actor with good Mandarin, I should learn enough Mandarin so that I'm that guy, like for sure. So I just packed my bags and moved to Beijing with the thought that China's got a huge emerging film industry, right? So there, I, I just thought there have to be movies being made over there that could use Westerners sometimes. I'll learn Chinese. Even if I don't get any film roles, learning Mandarin will increase my value across other spheres, right? I'll have the chemistry background. I'll know Chinese. Who knows what that might lead to? But it's clearly a world, you know, China is a superpower in the world. Chinese people live everywhere. I thought even if I give up a year of my life to go to China and if nothing happens in film at all, even if I just learn Chinese, I am still more valuable. Right. So that will still be worth my time. So I went to China, and all I did for about eight months, I found a one-on-one tutor, studied Chinese like every day for like six hours with her, did my homework after that. My Chinese level kind of increased pretty rapidly. And then I started working all the time. Douyin happened. I started getting millions of followers. I was in TV shows, stage productions, movies, like constantly for years. Um, and it really all happened because I took that big chance to become like a really niche talent in a market that values that
0: niche.
1: Mm. Um, right. Because you could spend many, many, many hours, uh, developing a skill that like no one needs, but there was, there was clearly a need, but the, obstacle seems so difficult for most people so if you simply choose to be the kind of person to 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 like climb that wall uh, there aren't many people on the other side so the kind of the supply and demand equation was completely in my favor in china uh whereas in hollywood it's not right like so many young white actors are in hollywood and hollywood mostly needs you to speak english so I'm not really special here, but in China, having Hollywood acting training, being a foreigner and speaking good enough Chinese to be on screen, there were less than 10 people in China with that description. So the supply and demand equation is completely in our favor over there. So I worked all the time, started making tons of videos. Uh, The world changed, here I am, here I'm back. And it's like, well, what can I do now to, to be helpful to people and also increase, like keep developing my own talents. And it's like, I I guess I kind of have a skill now for making videos, for speaking at least decent Chinese. I guess I want to share that with the world. So that was like the whole background for now we're back in the States, what do I do? Uh, Have all this social media experience, you know, so I guess I'll develop new channels. And instead of the comedy, You know, the videos that really took off in China were like cross-cultural comedy videos. I don't think that's going to play as well here, but a lot of people really are curious about Chinese and they're like, wait, how did you learn Chinese so quickly? And I thought, you know, maybe more people are interested in that from me and and, and I want to give people what they want the most, you know, so I figured... I, I still want to, I, I love writing and I love comedy. So I was like, why can't I fuse the two? Can I make learning Chinese kind of funny and interesting? And can I make really, really valuable short form videos? Uh, and the answer was yes. You know, I, I looked at other Chinese educational channels and um, even you you might even notice some of my original videos in the Chinese space, you know, I would spend like 30 or 40 seconds teaching like one sentence. And I was like, that's just not good enough, right? Like, I don't want people to spend 40 seconds of their time and only learn one sentence. I was like, why can't every single thing I say be something they could learn, right? So that's where I figured, well, I need to maybe have comedic shorts where two characters are talking and I have like the opinion and the translations for every single sentence. And so that way people can like download and save the videos um, and make every single second potentially useful. Mm-hmm. So I've said that's like a crazy bat, like full circle answer. I,
0: I hope that wasn't like off the rails there. No, that's <laughs> a really complete story. And it's really interesting to hear that because um, to be honest, when I first found your page, it just looked like some uh, guy was like trying to teach Chinese. And <laughs> you you spoke, like, you speak very well. And I was actually going to ask, like, how did you learn, like, to speak it so well and know the language, like, that in depth? And the fact that you went to Beijing and studied so hard for, like, so many years, that really makes sense. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think um,
1: one message I really love to impart on people is just that, uh, like, perfect Chinese doesn't even need to be the initial goal. Like that can be something in your head or your imagination that would be nice someday. My Chinese isn't perfect. Even like whose English is 100% perfect even, right? You just need to be good enough to do a job. And that's actually not even that good. Mm -hmm. Like within just a few months in China, my Chinese was good enough to get roles in movies and uh if your chinese is just okay it can really expand your doors and windows of opportunity in whatever else it is you're doing because you just increase the number of people that you can make connections with right so like if if you're a real estate agent or an engineer or a teacher or whatever just speaking a few sentences or being able to hold like a two or three minute conversation in chinese can build a relationship with somebody and establish more trust. And, and it, it just opens so many other doors. So I don't think people should be afraid of like, oh no, na- native level Chinese is so far away. Therefore I won't start. You don't even, you don't need native level. Like, cause almost nobody is even at beginner level. That's the point. So if you can even just get to beginner level, you're already so far ahead of the competition um, and so many cool things can happen.
0: Yeah. I mean, the idea of like speaking Chinese perfectly is not even like a real thing. I mean, there's like hundreds of dialects you would have to learn. It's not, it's not practical. Exactly. Right. Um, so going back to your acting career in China, I noticed, um, you have a lot of roles and movies and a lot of advertisements Now I watched them. They're really nice. And some of them are pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> which like, which one of your roles was your favorite to act in? That's a great question. Um, I have a
1: couple different answers for like different feelings. Yeah. Um, there's unfortunately a role that's really difficult to look up because it was a live production. It was this traveling stage show. It's actually a Broadway show from New York, and this company purchased the rights to it. It's called That Physics Show. And uh, basically, it was me playing a character named Dr. Y. And I had two assistants, Xiao Pi and Xiao Yi, like proton and electron, basically. Um, And it was us on stage for about 90 minutes doing science experiments, all in Chinese. <laughs> so, um, and I was like the host. So I was teaching, hundred like sometimes we had a thousand people in the audience, and we were doing um, large like fantastical looking experiments to to demonstrate things like Newton's laws of motion, you know, and like pendulum motion and um, you know circular momentum and things like that, um, angular momentum. And that felt, that was like really, really cool because it felt like a meaningful job and character because I was actually helping the young generation like get interested in science. And when I would call out, you know, uh, a big, like a large question and and felt like hundreds of kids would be like, pick me, pick me. Just seeing like so many people, um, so many young people be, so enthused to like learn was really touching because sometimes acting is just in front of a green screen and a piece of glass and you you can't really see like who the material is affecting or how it's affecting them um live theater is so great in that way because when it's working well you get this visceral primal response um and being able to see that many people be positively affected by science was really really cool. But on the film side, man, um, I think there was a role. So there were a couple roles that were really meaningful, and I try to I'll try to uh, be quick about them. I'm sorry to like take so much time talking about these things. Right. Um, When I was 13, I saw the movie Hero, Ying Xiong, uh, by director Zhang Yimou. This movie was with Jet Li um, and like Zhang Ziyi, and uh, it's a fantastic movie. The cinematography is beautiful. The story is amazing. It's called Hero. Quentin Tarantino um, was one of the people who pushed this film to be released in the U.S. I recommend anyone out there check it out. It's, it's a gorgeous masterpiece. Anyway, that film by Zhang Yimou was like the thing that 13-year-old me watched and was like, huh, China looks kind of cool. I might want to go there one day, right? Fast forward like 13 years later, my the last movie I filmed in China was a Zhang Yimou film. Oh, Wow. <laughs> Right. It was like this crazy full circle thing. And I'm just like, this is wild. You know, it it made me feel like time and the universe was just this wild conspiracy. I'm like, why did. It's almost like 13 year old me knew something about the future. And then I'm sitting there in like northeast China in the middle of the winter. Zhang Yimou is directing me. I'm like, this this is just crazy. Um. Uh, So from a personal standpoint to have like come that far from like little kid in small town America, watching a Yi Mo film, thinking one day I want to go there to being in China, being directed by him as like the last movie I did before I came home. I think that just that was like icing on the cake that just made all of the sacrifice and the chasing the dream worth it, you know? (laughs)
0: Must be a dream come true like, working with what director you would seen when you were a kid. It is, yeah, it is. It's it's really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, the Chinese like movie scene has like gotten much more international in uh recent decades, years. Like, um, a couple years back, they released a movie called The Wandering Earth, the yes, yeah, that was like, a great film. It was like the first major like sci fi movie China released. That's um, right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They had
1: uh yeah. That was wildly popular, and um, I met the the guy who played like the token foreigner, Mike oh, Slay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, he and I were going to the same gym for a little bit in Beijing. That's cool. Yeah, um, small world. It really is such a small community over there. <laughs> um, yeah, the 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 sci-fi stories in particular, I think are more appealing to like cross-culturally um china as you know has more censorship than stories in the west yeah like a lot it's true a lot of the stories that get made in china um are kind of like patriotic chinese stories that don't play very well to a worldwide audience um but the sci-fi stuff i think can appeal to more people Uh um that's definitely one thing I noticed when I moved. And and I also learned something new. Like, yeah, I grew up in small towns in, in the States and we don't really, there, there really is a, like a, a true firewall between the cultures, mm. right? China really controls its information on the inside. And, and so do we, in a way we don't have a lot of access into what's really going on in China. and Um, you know, so I would see some Chinese movies and hear things. And and I would wonder, like, why, why aren't Chinese movies as celebrated? You know, why aren't they as good? Um, and I just, I thought that the sole reason for Chinese movies not being maybe as good was that China's film industry literally is not as mature as, like, the Hollywood film industry. So I thought, okay, like... They haven't been doing it as long, they're figuring it out, they're getting better. But then when I realized just how censored the stories are over there, and I met firsthand many, many writers and directors who in their heart, like they have stories they really want to tell, but they're not they're not allowed to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, oh wow, you know, the the stuff that gets made and that's put out there goes through so many filters that you're not actually seeing like the end consumer is not seeing all of the stories that Chinese artists want to tell. Um, I felt a little, I I felt pretty, pretty bad about that, to be honest, like whenever I meet anybody who has something they want to say, you
0: know, if, if you don't let them say it, it's a, it's a little sad. Yeah. Yeah. I do think, um, that aspect of a lot of the uh chinese movies are like very patriotic it, it really yeah like you said doesn't appeal widely to the american audience um hopefully it gets uh more like public um hopefully the films become more widely appreciable
1: i i was in some of these projects i mean hmm. i was in what some people would call propaganda Um, And actually being in what could be referred to as Chinese propaganda actually taught me about American propaganda, oddly Mm -hmm. enough. I had never considered just how much propaganda we have here in Hollywood until I was in Chinese propaganda, because I was in a film um called secret of china the chinese name literally literally red star over china based on a true story of an american edgar snow he was the first westerner to ever come in contact with mao Zedong, and he lived with red army leaders for a few months he interviewed them firsthand and he wrote a book about it uh and i played edgar snow in this movie and the film took some liberties in a way in that it it was more of a tool to introduce the figures of the Red Army than it was uh, a film experience to go on Edgar Snow's like harrowing journey through China. You don't feel as much of oh my gosh, he's going through a lot is he gonna uh he he's going somewhere dangerous is he scared like Pretty much my character gets what he wants through the whole film. There's not much of a of an arc to my character. It's more like you interview this guy, interview that guy, interview that guy. So the audience, uh, which is kind of targeted at young Chinese students, they get to watch this movie instead of reading the book, maybe, and get an idea of what the Red Army leaders were like through the movie. And I was... Throughout the filming process, um, some Americans were kind of grilling me. They were like, "Ah, oh, what are you doing? You're in, you're going to be in Chinese propaganda, right?" And, and I found myself being having to be on the defense. Like, what do I say? Like, a- am I doing something wrong? People are acting like I'm doing something wrong. But then something occurred to me, and I slept peacefully, and I didn't have a problem with it anymore. And it was when i thought about captain america yeah and i was like wait a second what is more propaganda than captain america right this american savior where there's there's some problem in the world and it why isn't it captain finland you know like why yeah. isn't it why isn't it captain belgium right and and the the fact that the idea of Captain Finland makes us laugh. Or if you ask somebody, what if what if China came out with Captain China? Right? The part of your brain that kind of recoils at that thought, if you go, Oh, that's weird, that's the power of Hollywood propaganda. Yeah. That that you can make you can make Captain America seem so normal and captain finland seem laughable or captain china seem weird that is the subtle strength and power of the hollywood propaganda machine and no one would ever accuse me of doing something wrong for being an avenger i mean i would love to be an event in an avengers film but what it showed me was that actors were just pawns and some of us are higher paid pawns But if you are an actor in whatever country, you are at the behest of the narratives that that country wants to publish to the world. And you're not committing some moral fallacy or wrong, but like, you know, some people would say, oh, you're living in China and you're earning Chinese money. Does that mean you support whatever it is that the Chinese government's doing? It's like, well, you live in America. Does that mean you support everything Trump is doing? you know it's just but it's just like it people don't think of it um in that kind of devil's advocate sense and uh you know it, it it i was actually surprised how long it took me to come up with that type of response even you know but we're so conditioned to think a certain way that um it really uh anyway it was it was eye opening mm.
0: there was certainly in America, it's um, kind of a cultural like clash with China. Right? There's a lot of uh, Americans who just hear the uh, hear about the country and start thinking negative stuff. I think you know, in general, people should you know be peaceful and yeah. be open-minded, objective. I think your thought process like, is what people should be more open to accepting. I mean, based on the Captain America thing, I know like recently um Top Gun Maverick was released. And like yeah. after some of my friends saw it, they're like, oh man, I wanna join the Air Force, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like the same. You know,
1: it's great marketing. I mean, um, amazing film. Uh, I but but yeah, it's like wow, I wanna be a soldier. <laughs> I wanna be a soldier. I mean, you know, stories they Good stories can have that kind of visceral, inspirational effect. Um, But we, the common folk, like we're not the people in government. We're not making these big decisions. I think learning, uh, you know, so I think learning Chinese can only only benefit people. And, you know, I hope the geopolitics doesn't scare people away from that. Because like almost like in a dating relationship, right? relationships require good communication and relationships begin to fail when you decide not to communicate. And if you can't communicate, well, that makes having a true relationship even, even more difficult. Right. So, um, I, I really believe if all Chinese people could speak English and if all people who spoke English could speak Chinese, I I don't think we've had, I don't think we would have as many problems.
0: Right. Uh, at the end of the day, the politics—they're like you know—up to the people in the government. They they can argue back and forth, do whatever they want. I think the people should get along.
1: Yeah, and if you learn, if you can learn a little bit of Chinese, you can log on to Chinese websites yourself, and like, and you can see firsthand what's being published or said, or you can chat with Chinese people. You don't have to rely on like CNN or Reuters or BBC to tell you. Because you don't know like what corporate interests or whoever might be behind those narratives that are getting translated and watered down, like learn a little bit of Chinese log on to Baidu or Weibo yourself, chat with people and, you know, and you can make kind of more informed decisions for yourself.
0: Exactly. I have, um, we're almost out of time and, but I have one last question, uh, it's a bit more like current. So as a social media veteran done a lot on on social media in every country, but how do you feel about like the current situation on Twitter right now with Elon just having bought um, Twitter as a platform? It's entertaining for one.
1: (laughs) Um, I, I think his heart is in the right place. Uh, I hope he doesn't like firebomb it by being like too incendiary and, and, you know, he he makes like funny comments that may sometimes be perceived as sort of bullying but i think his heart's in the right place because he really really wants um a platform that's by the people for the people uh and outside of like uh hidden corporate interests and stuff And, and i appreciate that um but who knows like who knows if it's gonna succeed because yeah a lot of funding like he's lost a lot of advertising revenue um and i don't know like how much the subscription revenue is gonna actually yield him but at least for me i didn't use twitter as much before but now just because of all this drama i i'm on twitter almost every day checking like what's going on here um so it's it's made twitter more exciting um, but I, I do agree with his sentiment that if you're making people on the far left and the far right, angry, that you're, you're probably doing something kind of right. <laughs> yeah. Um, because truth usually is kind of in a muddled gray middle area and, um, you know, for better or for worse, I would love to see more more open dialogue and debate and, and, uh, less, less cancel cancel culture, a little bit less, um, incendiary, um, believe language. Um, I like well-constructed arguments and and debate and like thoughtful reasoning. So I, I hope the platform can turn into a place for that.
0: Yeah. I think that it ties back a little bit about the, um, debate between like America and China where, if everyone could just, you know, be more open minded and objective, I think things will go along a bit smoother. Yeah. A- absolutely.
1: And, you know, being able to, I mean, I, I don't know how to extent uh to what extent how true it is, but people are saying that Elon is like really, really going after like pedophiles and sex offenders and sex exploitation on Twitter, which which is great. Yeah. Like uh If hate speech is truly down that's great Mm -hmm. um he he's done incredible things with spacex and tesla so you know um i just hope that twitter isn't taking too much of his time away from
0: oh the importance (laughs) yeah
1: spacex and tesla right yeah like the rollout of the electric truck. Um, I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see the electric semi truck come out. <laughs> the
0: cyber truck and all that stuff. Yeah. Exciting stuff. Yeah. Well, it's been a great interview and uh I we can I mean there's like a billion stuff more things uh, things that we talking about.
1: I know, yeah. I, I mean I'd love to do this again sometime.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. Uh I, mean, I could like make more topics and we do another episode. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. yeah absolutely all right well just before the uh, time ends um, I'll leave all of your links to your platforms uh, in the description of this episode so all the listeners can check it out thank you thank so you. much uh, yeah
1: thank you so much yeah uh, thank you everybody uh, I, I hope to see you again really thank you for having me
0: you can find Keenan's IMDb and social media handles in the description to this episode Please make sure to follow our Instagram, also in the description, where we will be posting short snippets of the video version of our conversation with Keenan. Thank you so much for listening, and stay curious.